Welcome to Cabin MinuteCast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. It's Friday and I'm high day. <laughs> Bennett of... <laughs> HeidiBennett.com. <laughs> Getting a little loopy on my Friday, I gotta admit. So spicy. <laughs> and I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. In today's episode, we are covering minute 24 of the movie The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we are back in the complex and poor Hadley is dealing with a moment he just wants to get out of as soon as possible with <laughs> with Ronald the intern and it's betting time. Yeah, so I was kind of perusing the uh the old official visual companion here. Feel like I want to have this book for the rest of my life and you know the pages will become battered and <laughs> folded back and it'll be this tome that I you know, head to again and again. Anyways, on this, there is, uh, let's see, the control room, this room that we've been spending a bit of time here in the last couple minutes. There's a uh, sketch, an early sketch of the control room, and I just thought it was interesting here. I was going to read just some, obviously this is visual, but if you can imagine the control room, the stuff that I found interesting, that it says there's paneled wall with levers over here. Uh, there's nine monitors, there's some other paneled walls, etc., etc. They're showing the ramp and then adjustable screens. Right here it says foreign cities environment control. Mm. Like we know we're going to get some some foreign cities on screens, but why does it say environment control underneath that? Then it says bullet hit areas, quick resettable panels so i'm not sure what that means that that's all kind of in the same spot but the things that i thought were were especially fun and interesting obviously have to do with things that are going to happen later on in this movie because in one section it says crack in wall for monsters flooding in mm. So this is a thing I'm going to be really interested in is later on when things, you know, when chaos ensues, where do these monsters come from? How do they get in? It looks like perhaps there's a crack in the wall. And then another little part I thought was especially wonderful and a bit pertinent to this minute is it's there's a circled little door that says merman entrance starting point. <laughs> And that's headed straight for the bullpen and the the stands on console. So right where the guys are hanging out and have their chairs. There's also something else that says trap door. Hmm. Oh, wait. Yeah, there is a trap door. Yeah. Ah, cool. And there's Truman's area and the crew access. So we all know where that is. And then, uh, yeah, surveillance monitors. Of course, we've got the red phone and... And yeah, so it's all, you know, there's a few things that just repeat over and over. Vital statistics monitors. Oh. So that's what we've been looking at. The vital statistics monitors, a.k.a. the, the heartbeat spot. <laughs> <laughs> of which I so eloquently put. 
yes, <laughs> last yes. minute. Sometimes <laughs> our words just leave us, and that's <laughs> so fine. Um, yeah, and then Martin Wist, the uh, set designer, he wrote um, about the control room. On the control room set, we wanted an era feel to it, and it was a balance. It couldn't be too old school because we had some pretty strong technology in there, but the reference starting point was vintage NASA control room. Mm -hmm. And so we built that. Yeah, that definitely has that feel, especially with their like their headsets on and those mics that stick up out of... Yeah, it's like they've got mics that stick up out of the... Um, the panel, and then they also have headsets on. So, like, they're talking to all sorts of different people in different ways. Mm -hmm. And then he said, we wanted it to feel a bit anachronistic and bunker-like, which I think you and I talked about that in early minutes. It had to feel as though those walls were very, very thick concrete. We were subterranean. We were safe. So when it was breached it heightened the drama of that safe place becoming ripped apart. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just a little something I thought was kind of fun to talk about the stuff when it comes to set design and what, what kind of feel they're trying to give the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and how many, I mean, that's really getting down to the granular in terms of all these different events that are going to take place in this space and having to understand things on a deeper level in order to to build things out. So even though we may not, you know, we intuit these things, but we may not see the level of depth that obviously they had to plan out for it to feel, you know, believable to us. Right. That's a rad book, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's it's really fun. So getting into the the more the dialogue aspects of this particular minute, um, this is a continuation. It's kind of funny how minutes cut off and, and once in a while it's uh, and this is a minute that is weird and how it cuts in and how it cuts out, actually. But um, we left last minute with Hadley asking Ronald, like, what did he want to do about, you know, picking the same monster as maintenance and. Ronald's like, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know. And then he asks Hadley, like, what do you think? And Hadley has this beautiful dick line. More than anything, I just want this moment to end. <laughs> I love that. I can really <laughs> relate to that. I love it when people just aren't even polite about it and just say what they really feel. I definitely feel like sometimes when I'm at parties and sometimes when I'm at my, when my fuse is a bit low or my <laughs> candle's been lit at both ends or what, however you want to say it, when I'm at my least generous, um, I definitely feel like I've just kind of said things very blunt like that right to somebody's face and it, sometimes it just feels good <laughs> yeah i really appreciate it you know and and i i'm one of those people who doesn't take those kinds of things very personally because I, I feel like it's just people being you know radically honest and i think about one of the things i really delight in is like kids melting down in public places like oh yeah oh my god i think it is so funny and I'm sure they're like, oh, my God, you're being, you know, well, maybe maybe parents appreciate somebody being tolerant to that, because I feel like there's so many times 
as an adult, like that sense that we're seeing externalized in a kid is what it feels like inside, but you're not allowed to just unburden yourself in that, you know, complete freeing way of like, oh my God, I can't find the kind of cheese I want in the aisle right now. And I just want to melt down or like I'm coming home after a really long day and I have to pick up something and I just really don't want to. And I'm, I, I've really exhausted my level of patience and I'm beyond it. And they just, they just like, bah! they just unburden themselves. You know, they just like stop and melt down. And I think it's just hysterical. Like there's just, it's just, they're done. They're just done. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Brian and I, once we were taking a walk um, in Alameda by the duck pond and kind of over now, this is before we had a dog, but now this is kind of the area we walk pokey all the time. And I remember we were walking by these uh, this family and this little kid was having a total, total meltdown, but he had the, the words to express himself. And, and we just both got such a kick out of it because he's walking along with his family and he just goes, I am not happy. <laughs> such a wonderful little expression of like, this is where I'm at right now, guys. I am not happy. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I love the honesty because it's like, oh, that's just where you're at. Like, you're just, you're done. And there's nothing, there's no discussion. There's no feigning. You know, there's no, like, exterior bullshit. It's just, I'm done now. When we were done recording 789 with the the kids from Mad Max Minute, and it just, it was a really long recording session. And you were just like, I'm done now. We had the postmortem. We, we dealt with all the technical, you know, issues. And you're like, right. Yo, I got to peace out. <laughs> I know. I was like, you guys, good on you. Keep talking as long as you want. But I am hitting the mute button on this mic and I am going to have dinner. As it ended up all all said and done, the whole night was like over four hours of, you know, talking mm -hmm. and logistics and like, I love you guys, but it's time for me to go. Yeah, I just, I, I just appreciate it. You're just like, I'm done. I've hit my limit, you know, and that's, yeah. that's just really and I, I think that's also just good adulting, though, too. I think the ability to, to stop and just say, you know, I've hit my limit now, like I'm done now, you know, and be able to just walk away once you've hit that point and say it and mean it and do it is just good actualization as a human being and you're like okay there's no there's no we don't need to discuss anything here it's like cool great like go take care of yourself you know and i think people just don't do that enough they don't stop and say i've really hit the wall now they keep going past the wall and that's where you know resentment and negativity and really damage i think takes place when people shoot past that point yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I work on a lot with myself and then with my clients is, and, and you know, some people would call that self-care. And, and when sometimes I think out in the, the media, maybe when you hear self-care, you just think like, oh, well, yeah, that means like going to having some me time and going to get a pedicure or something like that, which is great, you know, but self-care, this is a perfect example of what that is, is advocating for yourself and your needs. And especially for women, but also for a lot of men too, we're so 
programmed to be polite and not step on any toes or god forbid be be thought of as a bitch mm. that then we can overextend ourselves over schedule ourselves and then yeah what happens we get we get sick or we feel like you said resentful the pendulum swings from one side to the other so on one side you're being friendly and pleasing and you know polite and all these things which can be you know, a great way to be in society and unless you do it to a point of your own pain and discomfort. So yeah, just saying I've saying I've had enough and I'm done now. <laughs> you can be eloquent and elegant and and speak it quite, you know, beautifully, or sometimes you just gotta go, like you said, let I gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> And good, good friends and colleagues and everything, like you said, we we understand and it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's totally fine. We don't have to be, we don't have to be perfect. We just be ourselves to the, our best of our ability, but advocate for our own, our own health and our own time. And um, yeah, no, I mean, my voice gets sore by the end of many hours. Mm -hmm. I've got like a swollen throat, and then I need to like go into the bedroom and turn off all the lights and listen to podcasts for a couple of hours just to relax and not be as social as, as, um, you know, hosting and plugging in and being, you know, totally here for these podcasts. So I love doing this, but I definitely need to downtime afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think anybody who's in a profession that you have to be hyper attentive, and you have to be, you have to be on so, and especially when you're in, I think, a healing profession and you really need to be present with multiple human beings and really articulate and listen deeply, or you're talking a lot during the day, I think it gets to be really important to be able to to stop and, and acknowledge, you know, the fatigue from that. Because I know, you know, people who are therapists who see clients like all day long and you know may see like five or six people or if you're you know an acupuncturist or uh, a physician and you're seeing you know patients like all day long and you've given so much of yourself and so much of your time and your you know emotions and you're that stabilizing attentive force like you have to stop you have to just you know power down the sense doors and self-care and have the good boundary Absolutely. So yeah, Bradley Whitford's character here, Hadley, <laughs> he does this quite beautifully and um, in a way that's really hilarious too. Thank you for showing us good boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> so we also shift into uh, a, a slight mm, side dialogue with Lynn and Truman here. And Truman looks a little dismayed by what he's seeing which is this very large group of people who are who are betting and uh, Lynn picks up on that and goes to him and is like you know not betting and and he's like not for me thanks and he's 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 strong in that it's like this is not appreciating what's going on here and and not wanting to partake in the reverie of which what he's seeing and so Linda's, you know, acknowledges that, oh my gosh, these people are kind of jubilant betting on how these young people are going to die, <laughs> which seems, you know, as she says, it seems a little harsh, you know, it seems really, it seems really callous. And that's, I think, a view that makes 
a lot of sense in one regard because it, it it does seem really harsh and i think you know truman's also speaking from an audience perspective but that's not really what's going on here i think what's really happening is is this is gallows humor and i think these guys don't have a choice in this happening these kids do have to go because this is about saving the world basically so this isn't a hobby this isn't they're not you know psychopaths or not sociopaths they're this is a part of their business. This is their work. You know, they know it has to happen and, and there isn't a question that it won't. And this is really about them coping with this situation. And so I went online and I was like, you know, this just seems like this is a, a, a substantial coping mechanism. And what's what's the psychological background of this? And when I looked up gallows humor, uh, the definition of gallows humor is a humor about very unpleasant, serious or painful circumstances. Any humor that treats serious matters such as death war, disease, and crime in a light, silly, or satirical fashion is considered gallows humor. And so then I became a little bit curious about where has this been, you know, employed historically. And what came up from there was World War I. And that during World War I, this being such a profoundly nightmarish situation and soldiers having to to cope with it. And actually, if you go online separately, you can find a lot of... <laughs> Very funny photos from soldiers embedded in Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, trying to cut loose because they're just, they're in a, it's just, it's scary and they have to cope. And so they have, they, they make jokes and they make light of things and that's how they deal with it. And that was the case during World War One as well. And that there were trench magazines that came out and, you know, cartoons and postcards and um, they even captured printing presses close to the front and were using them to to print off these things. And there's been there was one in uh, Britain a couple of years ago, even that they had the BBC News had an article about it was called Grief, Grit and Humor at the British Library, where it was talking about uh, and showing images from that time, cartoons of the, the extreme gallows humor. And then there's a, another example that I found online, which I thought was really funny, which was at his public execution, the murderer William Palmer is said to have looked at the trap door at the gallows and asked the hangman, are you sure it's safe? <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect example. And I'm definitely glad you brought that up because I think it is interesting and definitely relevant to what is happening in this minute and Truman is you know he's the new guy on the block yes he's been he's been trained he's been prepped but as uh Hadley said you know you you know prepped isn't the same as prepared mm -hmm. and yeah you don't really I think understand until maybe you've been in these situations what it might be like and what kind of mechanisms you need to employ to get through it. And yeah, again, it's a totally different type of self-care, but it is, it's a way to, you know, compartmentalize and make light of a situation that you, like you mentioned, Molly, you, they're going through it anyways. So how do you deal with it where you're not just miserable the whole time? You employ this, this uh, smart way of looking at things from a from a you know a dark gallows humor way so yeah that's cool although one other thing that i ran into because i was looking up uh, articles on psychology today and one of them was talking about there was a research study that was done 
And so it hasn't been exhaustively studied, but one study showed that paramedics who tell morbid jokes have lower stress and less burnout than those who don't. Yeah. So that makes, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I get it. And I think even, um, it's a slightly different topic, but just dealing with grief, you know, we know how much that humor can help us sort of go through these situations that feel unbearable, you know, and I definitely lost some amazing people in my life, as probably everyone has at one point or another. And, um, having a sense of humor with those people before they passed, you know, having good jokes and, and silliness, uh, people who were sick and who I spent a lot of time with while they were, they knew they were going to die. I mean, that sense of humor is, is essential, mm -hmm. I think. And, uh, and then after they passed, being able to, to, um, have little bouts of, you know, sometimes dark humor and then just sometimes light, goofy humor, but all sorts of ways of just releasing those endorphins and, and getting through tough times is, is, yeah, good, good, essential stuff for your, for your health and well-being. Yeah, I think you need a buffer. And I think that that's what's being said here is that this is as much as they're... <laughs> Their behavior seems really harsh and crazy. This is a huge job that these guys are trying to do because this is they're they're literally trying to save the world. Yeah, and again, I think with the actors, everybody's using this fantastic body language that's helping tell the tale. Like Truman has his hands sort of you know, not his arms crossed, but his hands sort of crossed. So he's he almost looks a little bit more holier than thou mm. in his stance. Mm -hmm. And it's got a bit of a stoic look on his face. And then um, Lynn is sort of crossing over to him and she's she's sort of looks like she's trying to gain some affinity with him by crossing her arms a bit and then pulling on her hair in almost like a flirtatious, nervous fashion. And and then the guys, you flip over to them, Hadley and Sitterson, and they've got this loose, you know, their shoulders are up and back, but they kind of have this loose swagger and these, these, um, grins and and you know to them it's business as usual but what's a little different is they've got this guy judging them this guy that like you said he's sort of the the avatar of us right mm -hmm. he's he's giving they're getting a little bit of exposition by explaining to truman what it is that's going on here and how things work in this world and and that the director doesn't care about this stuff as long as everything goes smoothly upstairs, as long as the kids do as they're told. And there's another little tell. Like, okay, well, we know, um, assuming we've all seen this movie, <laughs> that um, things don't go smoothly upstairs and the kids don't do as they're told. So what does that mean? It's just another little... Um, a little foreshadowing into what's going to happen, another little something that's going to pay off later on. Yeah, this is something as you were, you know, talking that I was thinking about, too, is that there's this discussion that Truman is, you know, as you're saying, he's he's the audience avatar here. He's the one who's asking the questions that we as an audience member would ask. He's the one who is uh, the device that 
gives us more information and more context as to how this quote unquote system works. And what also is interesting as we talk about control and what these guys perceive as their role in this, you know, Hadley makes the comment, this was after Truman, I'll back up. Truman says, how can you wager on this when you control the outcome? And Hadley's like, no, we just get them in the cellar. They take it from there. So there's, although that's directly answering his question, what's also implicit in that is that it's not up to him. He doesn't have to take responsibility for what happens to them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then Sitterson says, no, they have to make the choice of their own free will which I just thought was an interesting way of putting it. So there's this finagling that they're doing. There's they're putting up little roadblocks or, you know, pumping them with <laughs> pheromones <laughs> or different <laughs> drugs to kind of coerce things to go in the direction that we want to go. But ultimately, it's the kid's choice. Right. Right. And, and that comes up again later when they actually you know breach the complex and this comes back around um i think we were talking um off mic about you know setups and payoffs and so right we have a, a big setup of <laughs> the merman <laughs> right right from last minute and that obviously is going to be a, a, a payoff that pays off a couple of times out yeah i don't think we actually talked about that last episode did we no we, had, we didn't we touch about up that. talking about that oh my god so yeah let's talk about that just for a second because it's it's another interesting little thing so um sometimes a minute so chock full of stuff that you kind of forget <laughs> <laughs> a little key moment is that i don't have the dialogue in front of me but hadley makes a joke about somebody you know making a bet that's not a very smart bet and then Sitterson makes a joke to him and calls him Aquaman, sort of referring to the fact that Hadley always bets on the merman. You know, that's his sort of his crush worthy monster <laughs> is the merman. And uh, when Sitterson throws that little jab at Hadley, the camera pans back and Hadley is just throwing darts at Sitterson. He, I mean, visually with his eyes, you know, not literally, but he looks really hurt by by this little jab from Sitterson. And it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's like, why can't it be the merman? <laughs> <laughs> And I totally resonate with that where, you know, everyone else has that knowledge of like, this is bullshit. It's never going to happen. But you're like, but why can't it happen? Why can't it be this way? <laughs> yeah. And do they mention, does, does Sitterson in that minute or is it another minute where he says something about it being, you know, a real pain in the ass, you know, a, for a cleanup, you know, if it is, if it is the merman, then oof, that's a bunch, that's, that's a rough one, mm -hmm. you know, a rough cleanup. Yeah, that's a little bit later. I think that's post seller after. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. After cool. that. But yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, no, don't, don't feel, yeah, he, he tries to comfort him later. <laughs> Can't it be the merman? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anyways, um, we digress. So you were talking about, why were we talking about? Or no, we were what, talking about what, uh, setups and payoffs. Right, 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 right. So we were talking a bit about setting up 
well, the merman was an example of, of a setup that's that's going to pay off later. And then we're also talking about the the setup of, no, they have to make the choice of their own free will. We were talking about Citizen saying that. So, Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of, of um, it's not just boring exposition. It's actually all these little cues and keys to things that are going to come around later on in the in the fourth act and uh, pay off. So we've um, introduced several different guns and then those guns are all going to go off in different ways towards the end of this this movie. And, and that's the kind of thing that all reveals itself even more as you see this movie on multiple viewings, which which makes it fun. You know, I think there's certain movies like The Usual Suspects where you see it once, you get the huge payoff at the end and then maybe maybe you watch it again just so you can kind of see all the writing on the wall you know you can kind of go step by step and see all the different reveals or you know ways the twists and turns but then after that i think at least for me i really don't enjoy that movie anymore you know i mean i think it's a great movie but multiple viewings no because you kind of you know you see how the sausage was made but with this one i feel like multiple viewings i'm always kind of finding new little little nuggets right because the it's not just one big punchline it's not just one big bang so um sixth sense is an example of that where you have so much setup you know so much where you have such a big payoff at the end it's like that movie you were talking about where you might go back through it again just to see how they had set it up and had moved you in those different directions and played with the misdirection until, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, right. OK, here we go. We arrive at that thing. But once you've, as you said, figured out how the sausage is made, you don't necessarily need to come back through because like the thrill is now gone. You've gotten it. You get it. Whereas I think this type of a movie, while there's such minutiae of setup you have so much action at the end because it's such a clusterfuck <laughs> that you can watch it again and again because it's you know it's just a shotgun right. of insanity for so many minutes yeah it's gonna be good i'll i'll definitely tease this now is that we've got quite a few you know, like we we mentioned um, last episode, we've got some some special guests coming up pretty soon. And then, you know, we'll still kind of go back and forth with having a few episodes where it's just you and I. But we've got a lot of people who really, you know, and I totally understand this, really want to talk with us and be guests during these chaotic minutes where we're getting, you know, a monster at, a monster at every turn and all sorts of crazy things to unpack. So I think we're going to have a lot lot of a lot of fun with a lot of movies by minutes podcasters and other other friends and special guests Mm -hmm. yeah so on that note do you have anything else that stood out to you about this particular minute i don't think so i think just just to follow up with citizen saying you know they have their own free will he says, and he brings in that word, the system again, otherwise the system doesn't work. It's like the harbinger, this creepy old fuck practically wears a sign, you will die. Why do we put him there? The system. They have to choose to ignore him and they have to choose what happens in the cellar. And then 
then that's it. So, so yeah, it's just interesting stuff. I, I, I'm curious again, like later on, we see Sitterson kind of, you know, kiss a little medallion on a necklace, giving me this idea that he's a, a true believer in whatever this is, maybe in a different way than the Harbinger. You know, he's he's got a different job to do than the Harbinger, but this is a system, it mm-hmm. seems like he's, he's all in on. Yeah, and I, I think this goes back to these guys feeling that they're just, they're just setting it up. You know, they just they just happen to be present for this. They're it's not up to them. It's it's their responsibility. They're the ones who have to choose. You know, we don't make them choose because that's how it works. They have to they have to agree to the sacrifice. They have to agree to be sacrificed. And of course, this is <laughs> nobody's like sat them down over a cup of tea and been like, so would you like to go ahead and sacrifice yourself so we can, you know, continue to go on with the world right. as we do? Nobody does that. So they have this whole elaborate setup that they have interpreted as consent. Right. Yes. Which isn't the whole truth. Mm -mm. Cool. No. Fake news. (laughs) Yeah. So that's all I have for this minute. And it's Friday, which means we like to do our recommendations. Would you like to share what your recommendation for Friday is? Sure. And I'm just so tickled by this show. It's called The Expanse. So The Expanse is a couple hundred years in the future. So Earth, Mars, and the belt are a bit at odds. And so there's, you know, independence questions. And then there are these kind of blue collar workers who are working what they call the belt. So there's uh, a couple of different space stations out there, Ceres and Eros. And so you have all of these you know, human beings who've now been off world for a couple of generations now, and they can't actually, the people who live in the belt who are like basically the blue collar workers who, you know, go out and grab like water and stuff like ice from, you know, around Saturn and like haul it back in. Like these guys have been, like their bodies have adapted to living in zero G and they're you know they're not treated super well so there's these different factions that have come up to to support their independence and then you have this kind of focuses on the cop who is on series who's what they call a belter who's you know born and raised like on a space station and then you've got this crew i don't want to ruin it too much but uh these folks who all get on this ship for different reasons and it's it's an ice hauler essentially and so it meets with an unfortunate end and then how these guys band together to to kind of figure out you know why it was targeted and so you find out there's like a conspiracy and then there's this other woman who is on earth who's like a like a un undersecretary who's also kind of sussing things out on earth's end so you start to get these kind of divergent perspectives coming together of this plot to basically start a war and so you've got people who are sniffing it out on on different levels and it it all kind of centers around this affluent woman who decided to kind of you know slum it in space for a bit and um becomes very likable because she the cop really he doesn't know her but he he becomes really obsessed with finding her and so that's that's kind of the premise of the the first season huh that sounds interesting it's beautiful and it's the plot's amazing and it's just imminently bingeable so cool check it out love love something to binge Mm -hmm. 
Well, mine is a podcast, uh, but it's a specific episode. So people who've listened to me on other podcasts and uh, in real life <laughs> will know <laughs> that I love the podcast called I Was There Too, which is hosted by Matt Gorley, who's a hilarious comedian and improv and actor and he's on a bunch of different podcasts and he's he's just one of those people I love to listen he has a great voice and a great sense of humor I've met him in person a couple times at SF Sketch Fest and oh he's just a delight but he has this podcast I was there too which is one where he interviews and talks with people who were in uh, they had a bit smaller parts in most cases smaller parts in major films <laughs> or tv shows mostly films they're really hilarious conversations most of the time and i i would just seek out the whole podcast on a whole but this most recent one recent as to us recording now it's uh, titled Twin Peaks with Eric Edelstein and guest co-host Steve Berg. So it doesn't have a, a number title of the episode, but just Twin Peaks with Eric Edelstein. And it's so funny. And he and Eric are friends and his co-host Steve Berg is another friend of his. So it's a real like you really feel like you're just hanging out in a living room listening into a couple of really funny guys. And, <laughs> um, and Eric was... Uh, what played a smaller role on the the most recent you know Twin Peaks series, but he just has some great stories to tell, and he has a spot on David Lynch um, voice impression that's just perfect. And so he you know anytime he's talking about David Lynch, he goes into his voice, and it's so hilarious. And he talks a little bit about transcendental meditation and just how things were on the set and talks a bit about some of the other sets he's been on, including uh, being in that that great, uh, more current horror movie, The uh, um, Green Room. He played a part in that. And uh, it's just super funny, super hilarious. And, and I didn't hear their main coon, uh, his main coon on this episode, but you and I were talking earlier because you have a main coon cat and so does... Matt Gorley and it, it, that cat is so vocal that it's sometimes been a special guest on his episodes <laughs> where he's even introduced her as a guest and, and interviewed her and everything. And her, <laughs> her name is Margot the fat guy. <laughs> Actually, you probably I could hear him caterwauling at mm -hmm. one point during this this episode. So if you hear this like what sounds like a screaming cat in the background, that would be the holy meow. Because um, he, for some reason, we were talking about this off camera, because he was really being, he's usually very good. He's usually not naughty as shit. And he's been a little bit naughty for this session, I think, because I just, I came home a little late and mm -hmm. he doesn't, he didn't get his proper time and they're very particular, but they're super vocal cats. And so like, they are really talky and, and he does this thing where he'll, instead of just, coming upstairs and and be like oh you're here we don't live in that big of a space you know we we are not in you know a palatial estate <laughs> yeah we're not in a palatial estate um we're in like a regular ass house and there's two levels and he can just really walk his ass upstairs and find us <laughs> but he doesn't do that he just hollers from downstairs and so you'll have to holler back at him and then he'll come up and find you so he was like me 
where are you, Mim? And like just yelling in the middle of it. It's like, dude, you can you can hear me. I'm talking out loud. You can hear me. You have much better hearing than we do as human beings. I know you can hear me, but he just he wants the acknowledgement. So, yeah, I understand I'm going off, but I have great empathy for for other Mancoon owners. So thank you. That alone, <laughs> that alone deserves a listen on my end. So yes, I and uh, Matt Gorley on Instagram, you'll see some beautiful images of Margo, the fat guy, <laughs> and uh, other things going on in his life. But Margo is definitely a a center a centerpiece for his world. That's very entertaining. <laughs> awesome, yay! So I think that about wraps it up for this week. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, yeah, that was episode 24. You can find us at cabinminutecast.com. And what do you say? Shall we uh, have everybody meet us back here at the cabin? Indeed. Come on back to the cabin. Happy Friday, everyone. Woo! Ow, ow, ow. Yeah. Ciao. Ciao.